Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I'm Sasha Kelly and welcome to The Dive, the podcast that asks, who said that business news needs to be all business? One of the blissful things about going on holidays is that you get to completely tap out of work. And for me, that means the news cycle. I delete all my apps, turn off all the notifications, don't open my emails and just make peace with the fact that when I return, there's going to be a tsunami of information to catch up on and a whole lot of headlines that don't make a lot of sense. One of those stories was the scandal surrounding PwC, and that's Price Waterhouse Coopers. Crisis action at consulting company PwC. Battled consulting firm PwC has named the four former partners. Consulting giant Price Waterhouse Coopers Australia is facing one of the biggest crises in its history. The consulting firm have found themselves under fire over revelations that some senior partners misused confidential information provided to them to assist other clients avoid paying more tax. In the wake, the company's Australian CEO has quit, nine senior partners have been stood down, and as more is revealed, there seem to be even more questions that surface. So it seems like the perfect story to get up to speed with, with the dive. It's Monday, the 12th of June, and today I want to know, what exactly is the PwC tax scandal and why does it matter? To talk about this today, I'm joined by Tom Crowley from The Daily Oz. Hello, it's lovely to be here. So before we jump into the details of this scandal and find out exactly what's happened, can you give me a quick 101 on on who Peter Collins is and then also who PricewaterhouseCoopers are? Probably seen the name PwC around heaps, but exactly what do they do? Yeah, so maybe I mean maybe I will start with PwC. So the official name is accounting firm and mm-hmm. they're one of the big four global accounting firms but accounting really only gives you a small part of of what they do they, they sometimes call themselves professional services firms to kind of cover that I mean they'll essentially that they do all sorts of things I think the best way to talk about them really is as professional advice givers and help givers so they take on clients uh, who might be businesses or governments uh, and they can provide you know professional support and advice on on I guess basically any topic. And I think maybe the important thing to emphasise for this story is how much that business model really, you know, their business model really relies on trust. You've got to be able to trust that they know what they're doing and you've got to be able to trust that when, you know, you become their client that they're going to be acting in your best interests. And so, for example, you're not going to want to hire PwC if you know they're also talking to your competitor. And so that that is really, you know, they're in the business of trust. That's how they would often describe it themselves. Um, but as we're going to see, Peter Collins, who for a long time was PwC Australia's kind of international tax expert, he was their head of international tax, um, he stands accused of, of breaching that trust and that's kind of where the scandal that we're going to get into comes from. Yeah, I really like that idea of professional advice givers because then it does really give 
give you an indication of how big that scope can be. That could be anything from strategy to the nitty gritty of how to make legislation, or it really leaves a huge gray area for them to play in, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, broadly speaking, I mean, the kind of allegations of wrongdoing that we're going to get into seem to be fairly rare. But broadly speaking, managing these conflicts is super common, you know, to to make sure from the perspective of PwC um, that you're able to serve your your client's best interests at all times when your clients can be just about anyone, um, you know, who will pay you money. It's it's, it's a difficult balance for them to strike at the best of times. Yeah, let's put a pin in that and revisit that later in our conversation and go to the timeline of events. How did this all unravel? So we go back to 2014 and Peter Collins is the head of international tax at PwC Australia and Tony Abbott is the Prime Minister, so a bit of a throwback there. And the Abbott government is looking to come up with some new rules to crack down on big multinationals avoiding tax. So big multinationals like Google, Microsoft, you know, the big the big guys. And in the process of designing this rule, You know, this is a notoriously complicated space. These are very complex companies who are all across the world. They have really difficult arrangements. Designing rules to make them pay the tax you would like them to pay is a really difficult exercise. So the government calls on Peter Collins because he's known as a bit of an expert, really a bit of an expert at getting around these rules. They call him in to give them advice on on what the rule should look like. He signs confidentiality agreements and he gives the government advice. But what we now know from you know emails that have since been made public is that Peter Collins took the confidential information that he got from the government and he passed it on to um, upwards of 50 of his PwC colleagues with a view to designing a way to get around these rules. And so PwC took the privileged information that they got from the government and they used it to basically prepare to get around. And so on budget night, when the Abbott government announces its new rules, there are emails straight away from PwC to some of these multinationals saying, hey, we've got a way to help you get around these new rules. And that is essentially, you know, there's going to be a federal police investigation to determine illegality, but certainly it's already kind of clear from what we know that there, there has been an ethical breach here in the way that PwC has gone about that process. I mean, so many questions come up from you just describing what's happened there. But the one that's coming top of mind is if this all happened in 2014, why are we only talking about it now? Yeah, so that that is one of the mysterious questions is kind of why this took so long. So the first thing that kind of happened was that the Australian tax office started to cotton on. Um, And it was kind of around 2018 that the ATO had concerns because they would be speaking to multinational clients who were saying, oh, and we, you know, we figured out how to get around these rules. And they cottoned on pretty quickly and they they kind of identified um, their belief that something had happened at PwC. Now, they told the AFP about it at that time and there was no investigation. And I think it's going to be, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge before we figure out exactly why it took so long. But as it is, Um, sort of at the end of last year, beginning of this year, Peter Collins got his licence to, you know, be a tax practitioner stripped. Um, You know, he left PwC. And journalists at the Australian Financial Review noticed all of this 
um, pursued the case and in, in basically in, in cahoots with some senators have brought this story to light over the last few months and it's kind of exploded into public, particularly I think in the last few weeks. Um, it began by PwC saying, you know, it was an isolated problem, a bit of a bad apple, um, but certainly now it's sort of 50, 60, 70 people that, that are kind of implicated in this and are, are believed to have had access to this information and PwC Australia's CEO um, stepped down as a result. So, so the fallout has kind of exploded from that. And the AFP, as I say, is now uh, beginning an investigation to determine whether there was any criminal behaviour. So just to check that I've got the timeline right, in 2014, the Australian government asked um, Peter Collins, who worked at PwC, for his help to design legislation with the intent of getting more tax out of these multinationals. And then at the beginning of this year, end of last year, the ATO had kind of pulled the threads apart and realised that there was a connection between these multinationals avoiding the tax, PwC and Peter Collins. PwC takes action and Peter Collins leaves. But then in the subsequent months, we find out it's not just Peter Collins. It's actually that that information was shared I don't want to say widely because 50 out of a company that hires thousands of people, that might not necessarily be true, but more than just one bad apple. That is right, yeah. And and it's kind of been this, you know, I think that the way that PwC has been speaking, the term that they like to use is ring fencing, that they're kind of identifying all the people who are associated with the problem and trying to kind of, you know, put up a little bit of a fence around them and say, here, we've isolated the problem. And certainly there is no suggestion, as you say, PwC is an enormous firm. Um, but there's no doubt that this has, I suppose, harmed PwC's reputation more broadly, uh, potentially affected their ability to take on new contracts with the government because of that kind of breach of trust. And PwC's acting CEO has kind of acknowledged uh, a culture in the organisation at the time that that, that might have contributed to this happening. And so the, the fallout is certainly spreading for PwC and I think there's a long way to go in terms of understanding the broader impact on its reputation. Let's take a break, but when we get back, I'd like to talk to Tom about the numbers at the centre of this controversy. What was the bottom line to the Australian economy and what's going to change, if anything, going forward? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's talk numbers, though, because, you know, the Dive a Business podcast, we want to find out what the economic implications are of this. How much money did PwC make from having this privileged information? Because as you said, they're in the business of trust. And having this kind of information, which allows you to front foot changes in legislation, must have been an enormous benefit to them. Well, yes, this is one of the things that it's, it's, it's it, again, I mean, and there are a lot of these things because the investigation's happening where we have to keep saying, well, we don't know. And it's a bit of a murky area. Certainly we know that PwC reached out to a lot of prospective clients, you know, sort of seeking to get their business as a result of this. And there are suggestions that in least, at least a couple of cases that it was successful. So exactly quantifying what the, the impact of that might be 
is a slightly difficult exercise, but there's certainly some reason to believe that that it was in part successful. But then on the other on the other side, they stand to lose potentially a lot of money from the government. I mean, the government pays you know billions of dollars a year to consultants like PwC. Um, the federal government is PwC's biggest Australian client, and so you know they may perhaps I mean they didn't, you know they, they may perhaps have got a little bit um, out of this, but. Um, in this case, I suppose, you know, crime crime hasn't paid. They've been caught and, and the financial consequences for the firm uh, are likely to be really significant. I know that I'm asking you these questions and you say it's still ongoing, so we don't really know the scale. But I do want to know, do we have an idea of what the bottom line was to the Australian economy in terms of lost tax that could have been collected? Or is that, again, something that's a bit up in the air? We don't really know what that loss is, but just that there was one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I can give you a number this time, so I don't have to just completely not answer the question. Uh, But we're, we're talking in this multinational space, we are talking about billions of dollars a year that you know, is effectively tax that these businesses should be paying in Australia, or at least, you know, tax on money they've made in Australia um, that doesn't get paid in Australia. So it is, it's a, it's a multi, multi-billion dollar issue. Now, you know, whether, I mean, PwC in this case might've got a bit of a head start in getting around that rule, but you could say, well, you know, someone would have figured a way around this rule anyway. And I think the broader economic context for the multinational issue is that it continues to be really, really hard for countries to get the amount of money they feel they should get from these multinationals. And that may not be a problem that kind of can be solved. I mean, when you think about it in a worldwide context, you know, a company like Apple is operating everywhere. There are always going to be countries. So Ireland is a particularly notable one. Um, but, you know, there are other kind of tax havens that we might think of in the Caribbean. There will always be countries that say, well, hey, you know, base your operations over here and we'll give you a really generous tax treatment. And as long as that is the case, there is an incentive for these multinationals, obviously, to pay as little tax as they can and to hire firms like PwC to tell them how to do that. And so the international efforts on multinational tax are to try and crack down, in particular on what they call profit shifting, base erosion and profit shifting are the kind of tech terms that they use for this process of moving your books around to make it look like money you made in Australia was made in, you know, the Bahamas or wherever. Um, There are international efforts to crack down on that sort of thing. But I think, you know, what this PwC um, saga shows, it's just sort of one chapter in many about how difficult this is for governments um, and, and, you know, that shows the broader picture of this multi-billion dollar issue. Mm. It certainly does feel like an issue that it's always in the headlines and that the more that you dig into it, the more complex it is and how there isn't just a one-size-fits-all solution to it. I do want to pick up on something that I, I put a pin in, unpin it, so to speak, and bring it as a close for our conversation today. And that is just like the... I guess the spider web of influence or where PwC sits as a company that deals in kind of advice and deals in um, finding solutions for all sorts of clients. You did mention that the Australian government is their biggest client in Australia and the Greens have repeatedly called for a crackdown on government's use of consulting firms. Just the size of it seems to bring this conversation front of mind. They're demanding that PwC be banned from all future government contracts. I guess firstly, how likely is that to be a consequence of this scandal? And then also 
what does this say about our federal government and our, all our governments really and their use on consultants and external parties rather than public service jobs? Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating question. I think in the short term, it's going to be really tough for PwC. So the government has resisted cancelling its existing contracts with PwC, uh, sort of, you know, for legal breach of contract reasons. But they have suggested that at least in the short term, it's going to be really difficult for PwC to ever win a contract in the short term. You know, why, why would the government at the moment feel that it could trust the firm? And I guess at least for the time being, for anyone who's considering taking on PwC, there's a bit of a public PR optics issue. Um, and so that might hurt PwC in the short term. Over the long term, I wouldn't have suggested that, you know, PwC will be on the blacklist from the federal government forever. Um, but it's not just the Greens, it is the Labor government that that does suggest it is keen to reduce its reliance on consultants. And that goes well beyond this issue. It's something that they took to the last election. Um, they've complained about the fact that the federal government spent, I think the figure is $21 billion on consultants in the last financial year that they were in government. That's a huge amount of money. Um, and over time, a lot of the functions and advice and expertise that would ordinarily have been provided by the public service has been effectively outsourced to consulting firms. And there's a really interesting debate there about, you know, to consulting firms, you know, often, you know, they're, they're, they're global firms that generally have a very high reputation. Are they providing a level of advice, um, you know, particularly maybe an understanding of business um, that you wouldn't get from the public service? But on the other hand, you know, are they a lot more expensive? Is this expertise that the government should have in-house? That's a live debate. And the government has certainly suggested that it thinks that the balance is tipped too far in the direction of consultants. In this case, Peter Collins was, you know, being asked to just give advice in a more formal sense rather than kind of as a, in a formal client relationship. But, but broadly for the consulting scene, there is no doubt that this will put a little bit extra scrutiny. Put scrutiny on, on the consulting firms really, I think, to, to demonstrate that they're value added. You know, what, what is the value that governments get from these consultants? Can it be justified if the public mood towards them starts to shift in relation to stories like this? I think that'll be a really interesting question to watch. Super interesting question to watch, Tom, but unfortunately we're going to be out of time today. So it sounds like something we're going to have to pick up at a later date. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Dive. If people are interested in hearing more from you, where can they find you? Uh, you can go and find me and the rest of our team on The Daily Oz. Uh, follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. And from the Instagram, uh, you'll be able to find both our podcast, which comes out uh, every weekday with a bit of a deep dive into one of the big news stories, and our newsletter, uh, which also comes out on weekdays. And I have the occasional weekend column in that as well. I wrote about PwC uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, you know, to hear more from, from me and the team, our newsletter, our podcast and our Instagram, the best place to find us. A huge thank you to Tom from The Daily Oz for joining us today. Get in touch and let us know what you want us to talk about next. Remember, our email is contact at equitymates.com or jump on the Equitymates website and click the contact button. Lastly, please send this to a friend who you think would enjoy this, who wants to get up to speed with this story. It is, no joke, the best way for our podcast to grow. Until then, I'll talk to you on Wednesday. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. 
This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.